Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Thank you to all the new subscribers um, who've joined Media Roots in the last couple of months. Uh, it's awesome to see all the new people coming and listening to our podcast. I hope everyone's not disappointed that we haven't been doing more UFO material. We definitely plan on doing more mm-hmm. on the UFO subject. I actually watched the movie Phenomenon after we did the last podcast, so there's a lot more to talk about. Oh, you did? I didn't realize that. Wild. Yeah, it's super okay. wild. Uh, definitely everyone should watch it just, just to get a kind of a foundation of how this whole movement has evolved and... You know, all like the craziest stuff out there, really, because it talked about so many different instances that I wasn't even aware of. So, um, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And I definitely want to get into that. And we also are thinking of doing an interview on the subject, Robbie, uh, hopefully this month. Right. Yeah, we, we are. We are trying to get. Um, well, I, I don't want to say it in case it doesn't happen, okay. but we're trying. We are sure. trying to get someone from the from the field who's very much up the alley of like what subjects we covered, like in terms of the the potential psyop or disinformation or misinformation angles to all this. And phenomenon I think is a great example of how it could be both. It could be misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and real. I mean, because you do have mm-hmm. to wonder why is Podesta in this? Why is the fucking Epstein like incriminated like Epstein friend, like ex governor of New Mexico in this movie? Basically, the ex-governor of New Mexico, who like was a famous Democrat years ago, he's basically talking about in the movie how he believes the government has like the Roswell crash. And it's like, what the fuck? And Christopher Mellon's yeah. in it. Luis Elizondo's in it, who I'm obviously suspicious about. I mean, Christopher Mellon, we didn't even get a chance to mention on the last episode. Christopher Mellon worked with Donald Rumsfeld and Paul Wolfowitz in the Bush administration. So... If we're just to take everything at face value that he's saying, I think that would be a mistake. There, we have to look at this. I think we have to keep looking at this from the potential angle of psyop, and that's and not who, to say. And for people who have no idea who who that is, can you explain that really quickly? I don't know his exact position, but he he had a very high up position at the Department of Defense in the Pentagon during the Bush era, and uh, he's looked at now as this quote unquote whistleblower you know, who's helping get leaked videos out of the military filming UFOs. And I thought one of the most interesting things about you going on Joe Rogan and bringing the subject up with him is he even stopped himself halfway through trying to come up with a rationalization about why now all these videos are leaking and how it's not, it's not some kind of controlled released leak that it's like, oh, these are just regular dudes who are getting this stuff out. I don't know his exact words, but in a, and he took a pause and was like, oh, that's what they like want me to think or something. Like he, he reflected on what he was saying. Like he could even hear that he was like coming, trying to make up his own excuse because it is weird. Why now? Why now? That's the basic question everybody should be asking. And the, the excuse cannot be, oh, finally these whistleblowers just finally broke through the system and, you know, they pulled the Snowden and beat the government. That's not how this shit works. So... Yeah, I I think that it was a it was an interesting angle that I hadn't heard brought up and it was cool to bring some of the points that we were exploring on our series of UFOs on Joe Rogan's show because he's been you know, he he's basically hosted a lot of these people and and been the conduit to put out some of this information. So it was it was a cool And did you know um, did you notice how none of the people you brought up? I think you brought up Corbell 
mm-hmm. none of them responded to anything you said on Joe Rogan. And I find that very interesting because usually yeah. they'll always promote clips of anyone talking about UFOs. Corbell was even promoting the clip of uh, Tim Dillon just musing about UFOs on Rogan. And then your shit, I didn't see any of those people promoting it. And to me, that that says something. I don't know what it says. But it is interesting that we're the only like podcast who's really covering this from the angle of is this a part partially some kind of psyop and what is it for? I did get some pushback from UAP um, enthusiasts who said that I was spreading misinformation about it. I didn't really look too deeply into what they were accusing me of doing or you know what what the basis of their argument was. But what I find interesting about the entire Joe Rogan experience uh, of me going on recently is that it was completely ignored. You know, because it goes against the mainstream narrative, mm-hmm. right, about Rogan. And it also goes against the liberal narrative, which I guess is the mainstream narrative. But it just it, it just is funny because it's like it was ignored by everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it it's because it legitimizes Joe Rogan in a way that people just don't want to admit. And it basically was just three hours chock full of like hardcore anti-imperialist commentary mm-hmm. that Joe Rogan was like basically uh, corroborating and agreeing with for the most part and it was just funny it's like huh how fascinating that just no one talked about it i'll just say it straight out because i don't care if people think i'm conspiratorial i think the intellectual dark web was some kind of op i think barry weiss was involved in that and i think their goal or barry weiss's goal and those people's goal was to kind of just smear you marginalize you and then ignore you it's like Mm -hmm. they almost needed to like cycle you out somehow and basically just ignoring you i think is the way that they deal with it now um i guarantee you brett weinstein none of these people will say anything but barry weiss seems to still be very upset at your israel commentary so that's something we're going to need to address eventually but yeah it's i mean it's great that even some of the, a lot of the things you're saying about china go against a lot of the stuff that normally comes out of rogan's program whereas a lot of anti-china stuff coming out from the other guests all, all the time. So that was like one of the first times someone actually pushed back against the China stuff. Not even his other left-leaning guests do that at all. So I thought that was amazing. Oh, great. Hopefully that changed some people's minds. You provoke some hilarious reactions. What's that guy named? <laughs> Norm- yeah. Normanomics? What's his name? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Normonics, um, a.k.a. Joe Norman. Mm -hmm. Um, He, you know, he along with many other people called me out. But what I why I responded to him is because he is this self-ascribed intellectual who runs like a I don't know if he's running a Ph.D. program, but it's like he's running this this course called a complex science course, which basically someone made a funny point. It basically is like. The term applied complexity science sounds like a company that calculates how much you can starve a prison laborer without killing them. It's like <laughs> that kind of shit. Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean, I, I looked um, really quickly at like even what the course is and it's like you can't even explain it because it's just so convoluted. Um, but anyway, that's why I responded to him because he's just one of these like so-called intellectuals who just is so fucking terrified of China and honestly thinks the CCP is like controlling every aspect of our society. And he's just such a cucked empire baby that he completely absolves the U.S. So this guy wrote, wondering which regime funds a given journalist? Look who they never criticize. Does Abby Martin ever criticize the CCP? 
I heard her on Rogan and she kept getting really quiet when they came up. No hesitation to shit on the U.S. at every turn, though. All right, so this is this is a total cucked empire baby fallacy. But it goes beyond like, okay, you're you're criticizing the U.S. and you work for RT, therefore you must be a Russian agent. This is like someone's criticizing the U.S. as yes. an American citizen, focusing their journalism on it. But because they don't focus wholeheartedly on China, like all of these other Western journalists do, they must be funded, sinisterly funded by the CCP. That's how much of a baby brain this dude has. Here's... Here's what is so bizarre about this is that you really boil it down. Some of these like fake populist idiots, because they're all fake. They're basically getting programming and talking points from nefarious political actors and big money groups, just like the libs are, but they have the guise of populism. That's all this bullshit is. And this idiot is basically, he can't step outside the bubble and understand that not everybody's obsessing about the CCP because not everybody is slurping up and regurgitating these think tank talking points that you are, you stupid fuck. Like, that's not how normal people <laughs> behave, you dumb motherfucker. So Abby's actually having a very natural reaction because she lives in the United States, not in China, you stupid dumb fuck. So it's it's very interesting that he would act as if you have to criticize the CCP. Like, it's something that, like, is just normal. It's like, no, that's not normal. That's only, like, a year old. Because of COVID, people have found an opening to inject all this anti-China shit. Nobody's actually scared of China based on their own reasons. It's all just taught to them. So that's what's so funny about this complexity scientist, economist guy behaving this way. And then he seems, then he says... Oh, oh, and then he blocked you because you actually responded to him in a very like calm manner. I mean, totally calm. Yeah. yeah. And what was so fucking funny is this is how much of a baby bitch these people are. Is he's like, Abby was so, she was so hypersensitive to my tweet. She got so triggered that she sent a bunch of shill accounts liking her shit and swarming. It's a sad way to make not very much money. It's like, and then he blocked everybody, including you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here he is claiming that everybody disagreeing with him, because his Twitter account got blown up over this, him trying to dunk on you, that everybody disagreeing with him as a bot, Abby. Yeah, shill it's a accounts. CCP shill. Yeah. So Shills. I think when you really boil this down, this is actually more embarrassing, more brainwashed, more fucking stupid than anything any libs bought into with Russiagate. Because on some level, it's understandable with Russiagate that- People's hatred for Trump was so over the top that they needed something to channel into and their paranoia got the best of them. This is different. There's almost no reason besides like media teaching you this stuff to believe any of this. There's, it's it's like almost like less of an impetus unless all these people are like coming off of the fear from COVID, which I don't even think a lot of them are. So I don't even think that's what's generating it for a lot of them. I think it's just churned out propaganda. Um. Oh, and then our our good friend Zaid Jelani from uh, The Intercept, who I actually thought used to do great work on the neocons, he apparently doesn't understand that the neocons are also pushing anti-China propaganda. And he says, why is China a U.S. designated enemy? He's responding to you. U.S. outsourced much of its productive capacity to China, and major corporations are much more likely to criticize America than China. America trolls China a little bit on the side. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, they troll China by sending naval warships into their fucking backyard every day and breathing down their neck, threatening them. 
militarily. That's just trolling. It's just a little trolling on the side, Abby. Come on, dude. The reason that we're bringing up these tweets is because this is a mode of thought that actually has permeated so far Mm -hmm. across people like Glenn Greenwald. Really, it comes from Steve Bannon, which you have really pointed out in that incredible breakdown um, on the Committee for Present Danger China that people should check out because a lot of this is getting seeded out, um, not just through these institutions, but now through these commentators. And they actually think that these thoughts are original, but really it's just coming through the, the, the lens of people like Steve Bannon. Absolutely. Um, and so this is where Zaid is coming from. He's like, he's like, uh, you know, China is a U.S. designated eminent. He's like all confused. He's like, where, is, where are you getting this from? That corporations hate China. It's like, well, first of all, Zaid, look a fucking round you. Have you read the news lately? Have you lo- looked at a fucking headline? I mean, it's so fascinating because basically he's leaning on that idea that Wall Street and China are in bed with each other and like American empire and American capitalism is like dead. It's all about China. I mean, obviously that's an insidious narrative to make American capitalist, you know, American capitalism seem like it's it's pittance compared to the Chinese machine, which is we already know is false with the aid of the U.S. military and the CIA, which help corporations and have been historically since the beginning of the CIA, that's completely dwarfs China's reach. So yeah, China has a lot of reach with their capital, but that's it. They don't have all this idea that they have spies all over the place and they're stealing all our technology. That's a lot of overhype and fear mongering to overcompensate, to like create this, to make it seem like they're more, they have all this more reach than we do. It's obviously fake. Zaid's point about which is a lot of people's points is like, okay, the U.S. outsourced its productive capacity to China, right? And so therefore, what these people think is that all of like the corporations on the planet, including U.S.-based corporations, are dependent on China and therefore are scared to criticize China and, and basically are just beholden to China. And we're taking like the military aspect of this aside, which is just laughable when you actually compare the two. But if you're looking at just like capitalism, the reason that the U.S. exported all of its production um, in the late 80s was basically in part to try to overthrow the Communist Party there. It was in part to try to weaken the Communist Party to allow capital. Both both states are completely at fault. I mean, the U.S. you know, exported not all of its production, but all of its pollution now um, and can just kind of wipe its hands clean, pay Chinese laborers and, you know, Southeast Asia and China one-tenth of what they pay American laborers Yes, a lot of stuff is produced in China, but a lot of stuff is also produced in India, Malaysia, Vietnam. I mean, if you look at actual products, those countries are not controlled by China. So quite a lot of this low-wage labor that's even lower wage than China is actually being controlled by the U.S. still. Like, we control those countries for the most part. I guess the only other thing I'll add is Zaid said uh, that this is just as absurd as saying that the U.S. wants to overthrow Saudi Arabia. Because in his mind, he thinks economic relationships between two countries and this sort of temporary allyship means that it's impossible for those two countries to go to war. He's not remembering the history of how the U.S. propped up post-Soviet Russia, Yeltsin, and Putin. And then we decided to start like waging war against them. We do this shit all the time. This is how the U.S. operates. Libya was a similar way. Gaddafi was our ally on and off for decades. And then we finally were like, fuck Gaddafi. Let's get rid of them. I mean, that's that's what the U.S. does. Michael Ledeen and other neocons were talking about 
overthrowing Saudi Arabia in the 80s and 90s. So that's probably still on the table somewhere. It's just it's just different timelines. China was a slow timeline. You know, for the last 20 years, it didn't seem like that was the priority for the U.S. national security state and, and empire. Well, all of Biden's maneuvering since he got into office is basically just going back to the Asia pivot that Obama positioned. And this is a written out policy by numerous presidential administrations, as well as almost every think tank on the Hill that is based on militarism, is the fact that we need to now focus and re-strategize our military efforts on encircling China, the great power competition doctrine. Like, has Zaid never heard of the Asia pivot? Does he not understand what's happening militarily? Um, yeah. There is constant provocations going on all around China. You can even argue that the Afghanistan situation has been going on because of tensions with China. It, it's it's comical and actually sad that someone doesn't understand the scope of what we're talking about. And also, if you're just looking at the corporate media, I mean, come on. Have you looked at the coverage of just the Olympics that are coming out? Every time that China gets a gold medal, it's like, at what cost? At what cost are they putting their athletes through uh, this sort of like internment style like regimen. Yeah. <laughs> they like tr- like indoctrinate their youth to know that they, they the gold medals, all that matters. It's like, but when the U.S. wins one, it's like, oh, great. The U.S. won a gold medal. I mean, it's just so stupid. It's it's so obvious. And all these people that Zaid do is they latch on to like LeBron James defending NBA's business with China. They're, they latch on to Mulan uh, filming in the Zijing province. Corporations want to make super profits. They they will, like Disney and Kodak or whoever else are trying to get their businesses done in China. Of course, they they are going to just be like, sure, I don't want to criticize China because I want to make mm-hmm. super profits. Do you think that they are dictating American policy? It's insane. Well, here's what's so funny, too. It's like, I mean, and this is going to sound conspiratorial as fuck, but it's like on some level, you can almost see the U.S. benefiting from letting RT, Russia Today, and other Russian media like thrive in our country for enough time so that once they want to turn up the heat against Russia, they can be like, yeah, they've been doing like a uh, fake news campaign against us for like the last three years. Here's the proof. Like in the same way that it's like they, we've opened our door to Chinese business uh, collaboration to such a degree now where, you know, even though TikTok is still around, it didn't get closed down. Even though zoom is still around at some point, the screws can turn and be like, these are Chinese companies. We need to get rid of them. They're spying on everybody. It's the Chinese government. And they're, you know, that's already there in the background from some like people throwing out that rhetoric. But it's like at any time the U.S. could do that. And you can almost see it as like, is this sort of part of the plan to let the, the economy open this much up between China? And then so that later we can say like, they've infiltrated us. Like, look what they've done. They're all over our country. This is like an infiltration by the communist Chinese Communist Party. I mean, we're already kind of going there. And I mean, I'm not saying that was some grand conspiracy, but it's almost sort of like, yeah, like letting these these uh, relationships exist almost helps this rhetoric later on. So that's, again, a rebuttal to Zaid's point about like the NBA and these other companies defending China. John Cena, for example. I mean, he's actually been in movies that have been sponsored by the CIA. How do we know... Some American government official didn't say, hey, dude, why don't you do a video where you speak in Chinese or Mandarin 
and apologize to China <laughs> to make people <laughs> freak out. Sorry, I'm just totally going off on a tangent. To think that the U.S. doesn't want to overthrow the Communist Party of China is, frankly, you're not rooted in reality. Because we had, we, we had four years straight of the Trump administration with Mike Pompeo going out there every day, calling mm -hmm. the CCP the enemy. I mean, he even gave some big farewell speech as he was leaving office under Trump saying everything that was going on with the Uyghur situation was unlike anything that the modern world has seen in like the last century. Like in terms of torture, oh my genocide, God. and detention. It's like, really? That like is really? amazing. But all of this was framed in how the CCP is a uniquely um, dangerous threat and that it needs to be dealt with. And I mean, all of Trump's advisors felt the same way. So it's like, I'm, you tell me, is Xi Jinping and his administration, are they going out there on TV every day saying that the U.S. capitalist state is uniquely dangerous and needs to be overthrown? Like, is anyone coming out there with that kind of rhetoric, no matter what corporations think about China. If you go back at this whole technological partnership that was pursued by a lot of multinational corporations that ex did a mass exodus of U.S. jobs and put all of their capital investments in China back decades ago, in part it was to undermine and weaken the CCP. But in another part of it was a partnership between Chinese capitalists and U.S. capitalists saying, okay, we're going to invest all of this here to make super profits, to pay all these laborers far less than we're paying Americans. But in, it, it was a deal made where the Chinese capitalists were like, okay, then you share all the technology with us. This is how we're, we're going to allow this to happen. And now fast forward to today and all these people are like Huawei and just becoming hysterical about Chinese technology. They stole it. Usurping, uh, yeah, US capitalism. And it's like, well, that's your guys's problem. I and mean, you guys fucking did this so you can make a shitload of money a couple decades ago. And now you're blaming China? Well, it's interesting because it's like they imply, the implication is that somehow China's only able to get an economic advantage over us because they steal everything. Right, but that's not true. What exactly do they mean? Like, are they talking about Chinese businesses stealing copies of Windows 10 and like bootlegging them <laughs> and not paying Microsoft? Are they talking about... Like, it's like cracking someone's source code because there's really only a certain number of ways you can actually steal technology. This isn't the 19 fucking 50s, like a film noir sci-fi movie, like where someone's going into a shield to get the Tesseract or something. They want you to imagine that there's these like, like a 1950s movie plot with some like Chinese spy with like a Fu Manchu yeah. mustache sneaking around some lab to steal something and, and, and escaping. It's just dumb. And then meanwhile, Steve Bannon's main funder, you know, speaking of where all this rhetoric comes from, where the idea that Wall Street and China are in bed together comes from, Steve Bannon, he just started a new social media network. You know, there was Gab, then we saw Parler. Uh, now there's a new social media network, Abby, called Gitter. And Gitter is actually, is actually sponsored by none other than Miles Guo. Oh, wow. What Miles a Guo, the exiled, fugitive, uh, alleged rapist billionaire who's living in the United States on a yacht. Steve Bannon was arrested on his yacht. And apparently you cannot speak ill of even the CCP on Gitter, apparently. So that's an odd twist that the right-wing social media network that's based on Bannon's seed money 
you actually get censored for talking about certain Chinese officials and you get your account banned if you talk badly about Miles Guo. Wait, Instaban. Because Miles Guo funny is funding it. I guess. Wait, so my but I thought Miles Guo his whole purpose was to try to like overthrow the CCP so then he can just like have free reign in the country because China actually does like imprison and execute <laughs> like like uh you know criminals who are That's one narrative. Stuff. But there's uh-huh. actually a lawsuit a guy from Committee on the Present Danger China named J. Michael Waller, I think I've mentioned him before, he actually sued Miles Guo in court and he got Miles Guo to testify under oath that he would actually be totally loyal to the CCP still. Okay, so he's playing both sides. Exactly. So this yeah, idea that, that sense. they basically, one of the main like funders behind all this shit, probably funds Epoch Times too and a lot of these other outlets, is some kind of like dub potential like double agent. It's very, very fucking weird. What's crazy is one person can be driving so much of this and they just have no ideology. I know. You know, isn't that yeah. fascinating? And this is the guy that put out the foot job video of Hunter Biden. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, yeah that he, was really a big flop. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all I want to say on that because that's just, um, you know, that fucking, this network, whatever, you know. I mean, like Ron Watkins apparently is on some other network and he's got a big following again now. If anybody doesn't know who that is, that's the guy who people think might be Q of QAnon. He actually has a new site uh, that's called UFO Leaks. And he's asking for military officials to leak UFO videos to him directly. So that's his rebranding after QAnon is UFO Leaks. And he's already posted a video that he filmed himself of an alleged UFO in Japan. Uh, He goes on the show a few months ago before he starts this website, UFO Leaks. And the show has like almost no listeners. The guy only has 10 followers on Twitter. So it's weird that uh, th- that Ron Watkins would even go on this guy's podcast. I guess he lives in Sapporo, Japan. And on this episode of Crazy Curious Minds, Ron Watkins says, you know who the master of cancel culture is? And the host says, who? And Ron says, Hitler. In the same Crazy Curious Minds episode, Ron Watkins says that this is the first hint that I had that Ron Watkins is actually getting into this stuff. Ron Watkins says about an hour into the interview when he's talking about George Soros and, you know, the deep state and and sort of the New World Order global elites who pull the strings. He says, he says, these people would be the descendants of the Nephilims. So literally aliens are behind George Soros. And the host says, Q believes in the aliens. And Ron says, I'm not Q. Here's a clip of Ron posting his own UFO video to his website, UFO Leaks. The original intention behind this website presumably was to get like military leaks and and other kinds of leaks like that from the military about UFOs. But here he is just posting his own video. And it's just, um, it's just, I think you should listen to what he sounds like narrating his own UFO video. Recorded in Hokkaido, Japan, July 18, 2021, at 7.12 p.m. local time. Local conditions were clear skies, 86 degrees Fahrenheit, wind speed was 4 miles per hour, 65% humidity, and 10% precipitation. Object's estimated altitude was 5,000 feet above sea level, and it traveled south by southwest at approximately 200 knots. There was no visible propulsion system, and there was no sound given off by the object. 
The object was silver, oblongated, and appeared to oscillate. A military reconnaissance craft tailed the object by approximately 5 miles. This video was filmed within 10 miles of a prominent military base. Visit alienleaks.org for more information about alien technology. And if Ron Watkins is Q or was Q, this is what it's like to like Wizard of Oz pulling back the curtain. Um, wow. Pretty, pretty wild. Yep. Can't wait to check it out. I know, me either. It's actually pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. So do you want to just mention really quick that Empire Files is now um, being broadcast on Means TV? Just tell people what Means TV is. Means TV is a worker-owned anti-capitalist network, media network, that hosts an incredible amount of original programming and also just a collection of different documentaries and shows from different journalists who align with the values of the network. It's a really cool network. I'm super honored to be a part of it. We actually launched Means TV in Detroit with Gaza Fights for Freedom. They picked our documentary out of all the ones that they were featuring to to launch the whole network with. And so it was really cool to be there in person to do that with them. And so, you know, it's really cool this many months later, I don't know how long they've been around. I think it's like a year and a half now, maybe more, to finally put up Empire Files on Means TV. So we have the last year or so of our files up there you can check out. Definitely become a subscriber and support their work. It's definitely worth it. And it's fun to just watch it on TV. You know, it's it's fun to have the Means TV app and be able to watch all of this, this good stuff. There's uh, a ton, a ton of content. You've been on there. You've been on Means Morning Show uh, several times talking about your work. Uh, so yeah, check it out. It's kind of its own aesthetic. It's a little bit artsy. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're doing it a little bit differently. I think Sarah Squirm even has a, a show on there. Who's like a crazy, like weird comedian, performance artist, like body horror person. So there's just, there's all, all different stuff on there, not just politics, but it's, I think it's mostly focused on politics, right? Yeah. But there's plenty of other stuff on there. Definitely check it out. Sarah Squirm is great. Robbie, do you want to give a little tribute to Glenn Ford from the Black Agenda Report who recently passed away? I mean, yeah. Um, the Black Agenda Report has been, you know, one of the most principled and remaining, you know, real and true alternative media outlets for years and years. I mean, I, I think they've probably been around since we first got into this Abby um, doing alternative media and Glenn Ford was a co-founder of Black Agenda Report and he passed away uh, last week pretty sad I think it was unexpected for what I understand um, and yeah it's just another loss of actually good figures on the left who aren't grifters you know, and I don't say that, use that word lightly. I'm not using it like I'm a Daily Beast article. I'm, I mean, like, there's a lot of grifters on the left. There's a ton of them now. Like, there's new people popping up every few months who are just talking about all the same stuff. Black Agenda Report, Glenn Ford, they were, they were not like those people. Danny Haifong, a guest that we've had on Media Roots a few times, he comes from Black Agenda Report. Margaret Kimberly is someone you might have heard of before. She's also part of Black Agenda Report. I think Ajuma Baraka. So I think that that's who mostly comprises it. It's a loss. I, I don't think there's a lot of new people coming to the scene quite like that. And we need more people like that. Yeah, they've had the people that you just talked about. I mean, they, they have decades behind them of organizing, of extremely astute, critical, cutting commentary. 
of our political establishment, and that includes Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford was one of the most vociferous opponents of the Obama administration um, and really just had cutting analysis that broke through the whole superficial, you know, woke identity politics stuff and was always just really, really, really hardcore in his analysis. Um, Black Agenda Report is a staple and has been for a long time for the left. You know, we lost Glenn Ford far too soon. It was completely unexpected. It was one of those people that I was just like, I always wanted to have a conversation with him, but it just never happened because you just think that you have all the time in the world. I don't know what happened, but he's gone. And all we can do now is just make his work live on. But um, he was a committed socialist and he was also a member of the Black Panther Party, which I thought was interesting. And he grew up in Jim Crow apartheid in Georgia. So I'm sure that that helped shape his, you know, his militancy that carried into his work. Um, so just check out his work and and check out Black Agenda Report and, and support what they're doing. And to your point about the kind of grifter, grifterdom that's overtaken the left, it is, it is a sad state of affairs because it seems like all of us understand the detriment of having YouTube, right? And falling prey to the YouTube al algorithm and doing the content that you know will feed the algorithm. I'm directly opposed, diametrically opposed to feeding the YouTube al algorithm, even if it means that my content won't be seen. You know, like, for example, working weeks and weeks on a documentary about Uganda, knowing that no one's going to see it. YouTube isn't going to boost it. It is kind of sad to see a lot of people pop up on the scene just a few months ago that I have never seen before in any movement building in the last 20 years. And they just say exactly what they know taps into the reptile brain. Like people want to hear what they're selling. But really at its core, it's capitalism because it's feeding the algorithm and it's basically just doing what you know will inevitably just make you money whether it's ad clicks or you know it's just a strange kind of phenomenon i think also a lot of it seems like virtue signaling where a lot of people know what to say to seem like you're in the most radical place like mm -hmm. even people who are like really studied educated marxists who like do like antifa street activities and like and like actually getting fights and shit they're not on twitter like virtue signaling about how like they're everybody else is a th synthetic leftist and they aren't you know what i mean <laughs> it's just really weird how that they have so much ego about it and it's like i think you guys are kind of overcompensating because a lot of you were the same people who promoted tulsi gabbard who literally did a speech on the same stage as netanyahu there's some weird shit going on with that but in, in general i do think it's just a bunch of warring cults but Back to Glenn Ford for a second, who's, I think, one of the real ones. Just one example of how he was able to write about something extremely controversial and not get in trouble for it. By in trouble, I mean he didn't get smeared because he had such a good reputation. And he didn't write about anything, you know, that was too crazy. Basically, what happened was when Donald Trump said years ago that Muslims were cheering the 9-11 attacks in New Jersey... Glenn Ford wrote an article titled Israelis, Not Muslims, Cheered in New Jersey in 9-11. He talks about this experience he had where he was in a New Jersey park 
saw from a distance two young Israeli men. He doesn't know for sure if they were Israeli, but he heard them speaking Hebrew. They looked Middle Eastern. And they and I guess he talked to them for a second. They said they were Polish. They were carrying New Jersey press credentials, but they were they had extremely expensive cameras and they were both observing the destruction of the World Trade Center from across the Hudson River. Apparently they were uh celebrating as it happened. Now, it's just an odd, you know, example of how we really have no idea. Um, there's so many different threads to 9-11, but just that Glenn Ford would write about this on the Black Agenda Report, I think, you know, just goes to show that he's just willing to touch things that a lot of people on the left weren't. Um, so I give him props for that. I had no idea that that was his personal experience. What the hell? Um, yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And if anybody wants to check that out, it's, yeah, it's on blackagendareport.com. Um, you just type in Israelis cheer 9-11. You could find it pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about Nina Turner's loss briefly, since we're talking about the Dems, yeah. the libs? I mean, about yeah, the, libs. the only so yeah, Nina Turner lost this hotly contested race in Ohio. Um, she had a huge amount of political capital. She had a huge amount of money. She actually outspent her opponent, Chantel Brown, who was a very pro-Israel establishment Democratic insider, um, and she was thirty-five points ahead of Chantel Brown months ago before all the dark money got poured into the campaign. Now, Nina Turner had huge name recognition. She had campaigned around the country with Bernie Sanders, and it was a huge blue district working class, right? And she was a front runner for a long time. So what happened, which is really fascinating, because this is this is how campaigns work, and this is essentially how lobbying works in general. It's not so much that people get into office and then they take dirty money and then it changes them, right? Or they're like, selling an agenda based on how much money they receive. It's that corporations buy into people's agendas. Um, and so what happened here was a pro-Israel lobbying group called the Democratic Majority for Israel spent an outrageous amount of fucking money to do attack ads on Nina Turner, not even to mm -hmm. boost Chantel Brown. No. It wasn't even that they were spending money on positive ads for her. It was that they were trying to destroy Nina Turner because they didn't want one more congressperson who was critical of Israel. They didn't give a shit about any of her other policies. They did not want one other person. This is literally, she would have been the 31st person out of 435 members of Congress that was critical of Israel. And they couldn't even have that. So they poured $2 million into attack ads where I had people that I know that were on the ground in Ohio covering this, Jordan Cheriton and Jen Dyes. And they were saying every other commercial on TV was an attack ad on Nina Turner. Every billboard was her quote about how Joe Biden is a half bowl of shit. Amazing. Um, you know, and it, and it was just, of course she's going to, it's like, it's so disgusting that this is what actually could happen now from just this pro-Israel lobbying group that will just destroy you. And it was probably for some, I'm sure that that lobbying group also has, you know, agendas that mix together with other groups that they probably collaborate with. And who knows what went beyond that, you know? Why, you know, if it was just about her Israel stance or about other things too. When, when that weird super PAC that John Bolton ran went after Rand Paul, it seemed like it was all about Iran and his Iran stance. Again, it seemed like it was about Israel. But in a larger sense, it kind of, 
made Ron Paul seem like he was a um, a wimp who you know would let America like lose a war or something, like, like <laughs> leave America open to attack. It had this like larger implication. Um, but I guess Nina Turner. I mean, just like a lot of these, you know, sort of hyped up Dems who are who are like very left acting. I mean, I kind of got red flags from her when she wrote the forward to the book by Cigar on Jetty and Crystal Ball, the about the right and the left populace working together. I mean, of course, I would have a problem with that. So I guess I mean I, I don't really have much more to say about her except that it's obviously not true that the reason she lost is because she has loyalty with or she collaborates with the squad. I mean, that's what a bunch of these left sort of virtue signaling Twitter people were saying too, is they're like, you know, she, oh, I know why she lost. It's because she like was linked to the squad. You know, it's like that's that's inside some weird left Twitter bubble. It's not some mind-blowing revelation that Democrats are disappointing. Like this is something we've known forever. It's just weird how this is, everyone's acting like this is the most like hardcore radical stance you can take. I mean, the Democrats right. are fucking terrible. There's no question about it. And AOC, yeah, she's already shown her true colors, I think, in a lot of ways. Especially, I think, one of the litmus tests was the China stuff. You know, once her and Ilan Omar started talking about the Uyghurs, um, the Cuba statements that she made, I just, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, she's obviously being led around by potentially regime change groups in Washington, D.C. I don't fucking know. I just think there are bigger fish to fry here. In terms of going after Democrats, I think it, your energy is a lot better spent going after the administration itself and the Democrats right. appointed inside the administration. In terms of the people in Congress, it's like, yeah, you can always accuse whoever's the most left Democrat of being like a sheepdog to keep us in the Democratic Party. You know, you can always that you can always make that argument. You can make that argument with Bernie. You can make that argument with anybody and make it seem convincing because it's possible. You know, I mean, the Democratic Party does acts in insane ways. They do crazy things. But I don't remember people doing that to like Dennis Kucinich. Well, no, exactly. That's the thing, Abby. And also, they're not um, hyping up actual established third parties or figures of any kind. Just like I've been saying about how all of a sudden there's this phony thing where it's like the right and the left need to work together to fight the deep state. We need to fight the deep state with Jack Posobiec and Mike Cernovich. It's like, wait, what happened to Scott Horton? What happened to... Uh, Justin Raimondo, you know, even though I don't didn't care for a lot of the, his opinions, these people seem like established right wing. What about Pat Buchanan? You know, he's like an anti-war uh, classic paleocon. We're just going to skip to working with Mike Cernovich and Jack Posobiec, these two fresh on the scene obvious plants. Like what? So, anyways, um, I mean, for people, I, we probably sound like we're speaking a different language. People are listening to our podcast for the first time. It's hilarious. <laughs> So inside baseball. So inside baseball y. Anyways, look at the graph of of what mm. Abby's talking about with the spending compared to uh these other groups who spent to try to beat her. It looks like a, a it's just hilarious how much they spent compared to every other group. It's a joke. To keep it on the story of Israel, two outrageous stories um happened in the wake of the onslaught in Gaza a couple months ago. Everyone was talking about how there was a rise in anti-Semitism. Every politician had to denounce the rise in anti-Semitism. All these celebrity influencers were posting blue squares on Instagram and their social media to basically say we stand in solidarity with Jews who are being attacked around the world because of this rise in pro-Palestine solidarity, trying to desperately link 
this. Uh, it was a complete farce. And it was all done to delegitimize the growing protests, the swell in consciousness. You even had Bernie Sanders tone policing, saying tone down the rhetoric. Um, Jake Tapper was covering this fucking nonstop. Here in L.A., there was an incident um, that every I, I even just Googled it before the podcast just to see how many people covered it and then how many people actually covered what happened, the truth that came out later. And it was literally like dozens and dozens of stories Every single major publication in the entire country covered this. Every politician had to denounce it, even the squad of a guy who claimed that he was sitting eating sushi with two clients in Los Angeles and a pro-Palestine caravan drove by with a Palestinian flag and the people got out of the caravan and said, where are the Jews? And started like assaulting them physically. Holy shit, dude. Here's the thing. Can I, just, can I just mention something really quick? Going back, yeah. a little throwback to a call back to a, the Glenn Ford thing I mentioned at the end of talking about him. Yeah. I mean, where have we seen this before? Well, it reminds me again of how when the police uh, stopped some of these supposed people who were celebrating the 9-11 attacks, they actually said they were reported to the police as being Palestinian. So there is a weird thing here and they happen to be Israeli. What I'm saying is, a lot of these weird apparent anti-Semitic attacks that involve these pro-Palestine groups seem rather staged to me. And I'll just come out and say it. I mean, they just seem really odd. I saw one on video where it wasn't an actual physical attack. It was a caravan of cars driving through London, like with a, a speaker on the top saying like, we will rape, if you're a Jew, we will rape your mother. We will what? rape and kill your daughter. Yeah. Like straight up like ISIS style threats with like a Palestinian flag off this car. <laughs> so not yeah, real. Yeah, dude. This shit is oh fake. Okay. And and yeah, people ragged on Michael Tracy for being one of the first people to say that the original wave of anti-Semitic attacks that were happening when Trump got in office seemed odd. Specifically the vandal or the bomb threats being called into various synagogues. That was, yeah, that was a guy who was doing it who was a Jew, right? Who, well, not just... Jewish, he's literally lived in Israel. He was a teenager who was doing like swatting style stuff, <laughs> like from his own oh house in Israel, God. in the US. That's how sophisticated, like he, that's the lengths that he went on his own, apparently to do that. So, Oh my God. I mean, I, look, I don't, look. And anti-Semitic attacks are real. They're serious yeah, no, that, That's real. what I was just going to say. It's like, I'm sure that anti-Semitism is on the rise as well as like Nazism and a resurgence of whatever right-wing extremism because it's all in the same boat. But the, but to actually think that the left is driving anti-Semitism is comically stupid and there is no proof whatsoever. Like I remember the Anti-Defamation League. Everyone was citing the Anti-Defamation League. Um which is notoriously bad. It was all over the news. The spokespeople were all over the news. And every single article, when you read about these incidents, it always says, according to the ADL, there was this, this, this many hate crimes that escalated in the weeks that all these protests were going on. Well, I looked at the data. I looked at the data. I looked at the data from the ADL and what they include in their <clears throat> whopping 200 anti-Semitic incidents in the span of a week that they claim happened was, quote, dozens of anti-Israel rallies, end quote. Quote, chants of intifada, end quote, of, as acts of anti-Jewish bigotry. And Excuse me? people what does holding that mean? signs. Intifada. Intifada means like struggle in Arabic. What? Yeah. And 
actual signs of people holding up saying Zionism equals Nazism, that was an anti-Semitic hate crime, according to the ADL. So this is the kind of disingenuous shit that they were putting out there, man. In some way, during maybe the early 2000s, late 90s, I think you could have made the argument that a lot of the anti-Israel political materials being circulated in the United States were from people who could be described as anti-Semitic or neo-Nazi themselves. There was a strain of popular militia culture that crossed over a little bit with the neo-Nazi circuit that was very anti-Israel and also Mm -hmm. anti-Semitic, both Mm -hmm. at the same time. That's like almost like barely exists now. I mean, you almost never see these like militia acting people who are anti-Israel anymore. I mean, I just, it seems like there's been a, a bunch of, you know, like Alex Jones sort of, you know, drifted people away from that direction. A lot of things have happened. Trump, who is very pro-Israel, there really aren't that many of these far-right anti-Semites who are anti-Israel anymore. And I don't really know of anybody on the left who's actually anti-Semitic in my personal life or even just online who's anti-Israel. Like who I actually suspect of being anti-Semitic. And I would admit it if I did. Like I'd be like, yeah, that is like a problem on the left. I remember being more of a problem or issue in like libertarian circles in the early 2000s. Like some people would be like the yeah, neocons right. are dual citizen, is, you yeah, know, the yeah, Israeli yeah, yeah, agents. Yeah. Everyone with a Jewish name is Yeah, that kind of thing is true. But shit. almost no – that didn't come from lefties. I mean right. at all. You know, it came more from the – Paleo big sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to say the big, uh, the big takeaway from this story is that weeks later, after the dust had settled, uh, a reporter tracked down the actual victim. And just as you would expect, the guy in the car was the actual victim here. And he's now suing the guy who, who claimed and went all over the news to say that he was attacked and assaulted by a pro-Palestine activist in a hate crime. What really happened was that the caravan holding the Palestinian flag, the guy sitting there at the sushi table threw a beer bottle into an open car and the bottle shattered and cut up the guy who was in the car. So then the guy gets out of the car and, and starts the fight with the guy. So it's just unbelievable that this is what happened. And just another quick story. I have an actual friend who I just found this out last week who was also a victim of what actually was an anti-Palestinian hate crime. And it got turned around into him being the aggressor. So really quickly, he was in Vegas and I don't want to say his name because he's still anonymous and, and he, you know, he doesn't want, Zionists trying to destroy his life basically he's a really sweet guy he was with his family in Vegas and he was sitting there while his family was shopping and and a guy with a big old star David necklace looked you know totally looked like an Israeli guy it was just like is this seat taken and he was like sure come sit next to me and the guy immediately was just like where are you from you know that kind of thing and and my friend was just like I'm from Jerusalem and the guy was like me too and my friend was just like, oh, you have a New York accent. That That's interesting. Um, and so it just immediately became tenuous. And they, you know, it started getting into an argument. And my friend, being Palestinian his whole life, was very calm and collected because he knows very well that he doesn't want, you know, things could easily get out of control and he needs to be the bigger person in a lot of these situations. And so basically, long story short, um, he's like, look, I, I'm going to go. He's like, I hope that one day 
our people can live in peace. That's what he told this guy. The guy turns to him and he said, we're going to put your people in the ground, in the dirt, he said. We're going to put your people in the dirt. So my friend turns around and he's just like, don't worry, Hezbollah is going to take care of you. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy comes up screaming in his face. My friend is a huge dude, like looks like a professional like wrestler, like he's enormous. Uh This guy comes up screaming in his face and my friend just like, like took him by the neck and just like levitated him and dropped him (laughs) and then just left. He was like, okay, I'm out of here. You attacked me. Like, this is insane. So basically this guy went on all of the news, Robbie Fox news, all of the local media all over LA to say that he was attacked in an anti-Semitic hate crime. And then he actually lied and said that my friend started it all, of course, and that he told my friend, I hope we can live in peace. And then that's when my friend attacked him. He actually took his words and claimed that he said it to him and that that's what he was attacked for. No one asks any questions. No one asks for verification for the sushi story or this. Like, like anyone can go to the news and just be like, I was attacked in an anti-Semitic hate crime. They're like, come on. Well, yeah, it's uh, like six o'clock primetime news. Come on, guys. It's like the Pamela Geller style stuff. It's like the right does all these types of stunts. And there's, I guess they just, there's just not enough impetus to expose these really for what they are. So then there's just this distorted point of view where it's like the lib media is like manipulating people and doing all these stunts to make you think different things are happening. And then the right media just like keeps doing the same thing and they just never really get called out. It's so odd. It's (laughs) such a feedback loop and it's all basically serving the same agenda. And it's so disturbing. And yeah, the fact that this guy was all over the news cemented the narrative and it just fed into what they wanted and needed. Therefore, they didn't ask questions. There was no critical thinking skills applied. It was just great. The more the merrier. Let's jam it in. Um, turns out detectives, you know, came to my friend's house and they were just like, look, this guy's trying to press charges. And they're like, we looked at the video because it was Vegas and like there's video cameras everywhere. He's like, you did nothing wrong. We're not letting this guy press charges because you were in the right. That's what they actually told him. They're like, you were in the right. So that really just says it all. It really says it all. And and I mean, honestly, I feel like if you really broke down all of these viral stories, a lot of them would be sus. So Biden uh, has been in office for almost six months. You know, unsurprisingly, he's done almost nothing he's pledged to do. Um, he could, with the wave of a hand, he could cancel student debt. He could raise the minimum, minimum wage. He can decriminalize marijuana. He can end child detention. I mean, the list just goes on infinitely. Um, and one thing that we know that Democrats and Republicans will do and use every weapon in their arsenal to do so is extend and expand militarism and empire. And so it's really fascinating because Biden campaigned just like Trump and Obama before him that he was going to end America's forever wars, right? And he has already, in the first six months in office, has said, I'm ending the U.S. offensive operations in Yemen, I'm ending U.S. offensive operations in Afghanistan and Iraq. But, like, really, if you look past just the headlines that says that he is, um, it's just really fascinating because he's basically facilitated bombing all of these countries— um, and what and what that means is that this is exactly what the next stage of the war, quote unquote, war is going to be. You know, Yemen, certainly nothing's ending there. They're still helping refuel all the the ships from Saudi, all the, the military contractors. There's no regulations on them. And the U.S. is still facilitating all the genocide going on, as well as the entire blockade of the port, 
which is which is what the main cause of the famine is. Moving on to Afghanistan, there was just a huge bombing campaign to try to stave back the Taliban's offensive operations on the ground as they are retreating. It's a complete disaster. Um, you know, what are they going to keep doing? Just continuing to bomb the Taliban? Like, I don't know how a peace deal is going to be in effect as they're supposed to be out of there in just like three weeks from now. So like, that's really crazy. And it's it just such an unsustainable thing. And it just shows just utter and complete desperation from the Biden administration. It's like, dude, you guys fucked up so bad that now all you can do, just like ISIS, it's like you just can continue to bomb these people and it's just going to backfire, like blow back to the nth degree. Moving on to Iraq, apparently there's still 2,500 troops there um, guarding an embassy, but they're also there to designated to protect U.S. military personnel from like ISIS and try to, you know, do anti-ISIS operations. Well, Biden just bombed this quote unquote Iranian backed militia on the border of, of Syria and Iraq. So he's bombing Syria and Iraq just a few weeks ago. One of the militias said their whole purpose is to fight ISIS. So just like the Houthis in Yemen, who are diametrically opposed to al-Qaeda, it is just fascinating. It's like the most short-sighted insanity, you know, like constantly bombing people that are actually trying to fight our alleged enemies. The actual premise of us even being in Afghanistan was to try to fight the Taliban, prevent the Taliban from taking power. You know, the whole purpose of us being in Yemen or that or the Arabian Peninsula was to fight al-Qaeda in the beginning, you know, before the Houthi stuff happened. Uh, it's a complete and total mess. We've been bombing Iraq for the last 30 years in a consecutive fashion. It's not going to stop. And so what I'm trying to say is that all of this is going to continue. It's all just smoke and mirrors. And and I guess this all comes to Somalia because Somalia is an interesting case study because Trump dropped, you know, record amount of bombs, killed a record amount of civilians, and I think did like 200 drone strikes in Somalia. And so Biden actually made an announcement that he was pausing all drone strikes and military operations outside of active war zones. Well, for the first six months, people were just like, all right, like, is he really going to stop drone bombing Somalia? That's really interesting. And, you know, everyone was up in arms about Trump removing the, the menial amount of troops there and just rerouting them to neighboring countries that, you know, repositioned the troops. They never really like went home. What, are, what is Biden going to do? Is he actually going to stop this? Well, just in the last two weeks, he's bombed Somalia three times, or AFRICOM has. Um, and so we don't know where it's going to go, but basically it's just a completely dramatic escalation of the drone war in Somalia. And it's really scary because this shit is a tinderbox. It could ramp up at any second, just like just like the Syria and Iraq stuff. I mean, how did the whole Qassam Soleimani thing happen? It all started when our troops that are inexplicably still stationed there were attacked by a so-called Iranian-backed militia. Like, why are we fucking there? As long as U.S. military personnel is in any of these countries, it can always be the justification to then just increase militarism or launch a full-out war. So it, it's it's just unbelievable. Um, and it just shows you, I mean, Biden is just dead set on the same path, but they are re-strategizing to focus on China. And that basically every article that you can read from The Economist to Foreign Policy to Washington Post and New York Times, it's like everyone just, just lays this out. It's not a secret, Zaid. Like this isn't a fucking secret that all of this is 
is for the strategic purpose of investing more on the main enemy, aka the main competitor, which is China. Right. And, and everything has basically blown up in the US, U.S.'s face for the last 20 years. They've lost ground. They weren't able to turn Afghanistan into a neo-colony. They weren't able to get all the resources that, resources that they wanted. They weren't able to oust the Taliban. Um, so now they're just like, OK, well, now we really, really, really need to focus on China, because while we were mired in the Middle East for the last 20 years, China actually did a lot. They invested across Africa um, you know, the one belt, one road, they're, they're doing a lot. And that is really irking the U S and they know at the end of the day, um, that they need to nip that in the bud. Can I just comment of course, really quick yeah, on this no, concept I just of, was trying to, I was trying to just go off the concept of loss. I, I just, I think that for me, I see it like, uh, where even though the, the classic definition of like gaining some kind of advantage in, in war or an occupation, it seems like we've lost in that regard. I mean, just the amount of profits that we know were made in Afghanistan and Iraq from like defense contractors. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's just like if we look at the American Empire as like a body of capital, and all these corporations connected together, like the military-industrial complex is this big network. Like they, we won. Like in just in we like we always win in that regard. Like if you look of at course. that as like an engine. So yeah, I mean, it's just really it's it's just disgusting. Um, how that is ultimately a motivation in and of itself for going to war and staying in war. And, uh, you know, I don't even, it's, it's just an, if you actually look at the numbers of how much these vehicles cost per unit, like that these companies charge the U S government, it's, it's fucking insane how much each like jet fighter costs and stuff. Yeah, the F thirty five program was like a trillion dollar black hole. It's like, can can you imagine what a trillion dollars does? I mean, it sounds yeah. fake, but it actually was a trillion dollars. The defense contractors made out like bandits in Afghanistan, and there is such a huge amount of crossover between high ranking military officials and members of these corporations that it might as well be one and the same, and a reason on its own to call the last twenty years a victory for the empire. But another important point is the objective many times is to create a completely failed state, like in the case of Libya today. Um, if there are any independent states interfering with the hegemony of U.S. imperialism or the petrodollar or the World Bank or IMF, sometimes the U.S. will just focus on utter annihilation instead of simply installing a friendlier regime, depending on the conditions on the ground. Um, this is what it tried to do in Korea, Iraq. And places like Afghanistan, too, I think, when it knew the Taliban wasn't going to be beaten. Um, now the Taliban's gained more ground in the country than it had before 9-11. And now, due to 40 or 50 years of just disastrous U.S. foreign policy, there are no opportunities for the people in Afghanistan. The country is one of the most destitute in the world. Uh, poverty is doubled. Permanent trauma exists across the population that live in a constant state of war. And now, looking at the recent actions uh, that Biden took in Afghanistan that actually killed, I think, around 20 civilians, including children, targeted civilian infrastructure, um, these things are going to continue in Afghanistan, and it's the people of Afghanistan that are going to continue to suffer. The most recent fear-mongering thing I saw that's very Bellingcat-ish, like Google Maps style, where it just shows like a satellite picture and we're supposed to infer all this stuff from that and believe what the headline is saying, 
it was all it was a satellite picture showing all these like circles dug into the earth and some big open space in China and it was like China's developing and enriching their uh response with like a gigantic field of nuclear missile silos and it's like really watch out baby i feel like this is a little bit cartoonish and and like a lot i just saw a lot of people spreading this around and then saw some pushback from the left but really not very many people talking about it um it's it's so weird man i i i I guess to me the most disturbing thing and i'll just end the china thing here is that I think that even if you don't think war with China is possible, like say if you're a denialist and and think that that's ludicrous to suggest, mm-hmm. like even if you have Zayed's mindset, then don't you think it's disturbing still that all of a sudden we are not organically as a society starting to become afraid of China? And it's not because everybody at home uh, blue collar workers at home are reading the economists about how China is gaining the economic upper hand against us. That's not why they're freaking out over China. It's because of like total reptile brain, emotional agitprop stuff to make you us feel paranoid about China. And it's more insidious and plants, I think, a stronger seed than any of the Russiagate stuff does because it's, you really can make a more convincing argument that China does have influence over us compared to Russia. I mean, if you actually look at the reality of it, yeah, you really can't make that argument about Russia. It's it's really hard to believe that, you know, if that's the argument you're trying to push, that Russia has an influence over our culture or the way our corporations talk. Um, but, I mean, there's enough examples of China having these little bits of influence that they hype those up to such an extent where everybody is now seemingly bought into this. Even people... On the left, even liberals. I mean, I don't talk to very many liberals in real life anymore, but um, I've seen people talking like this. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not considered Trumpian to sort of blame China for COVID. I don't think it's Trumpian to say that it leaked from a lab and it was like a bioweapon, maybe. But now the lab leak theory is now like mainstream liberal liberalism, and even before it caught on. Uh, the theory that the virus came from like d- the dirtiness of China's wet markets was the liberal narrative. So it's like already started in this sort of like xenophobic, you know, problematic. Obviously, it's like the Spanish flu did not come from Spain. It apparently came from a Kansas pig farm. So we obviously weaponized that the name of that flu really early on to just make sure that we weren't blamed for it. Probably. I mean, who the fuck knows how that name caught on? You know, it could have just been the collective xenophobia of the time in in the United States. But just one example, DC Comics. Uh, You know, DC Comics, if you look back on how DC Comics started, it's actually like some of the earliest, most famous DC comic books started rooted in like anti-Chinese paranoia. And not just like paranoia about the Chinese government. It was like paranoia about like Chinese, like black magic and like Chinese mystics and like Chinese mystical cults that were like kidnapping children. Um, The front cover of Detective Comics number one, the comic book in which Batman first appeared, I believe in issue number 28, is like a totally like yellow skin looking like a stereotype like cartoon of an Asian man, like an evil, he almost looks like an alien, you know, like his eyes are all white. He's got a giant mustache. His skin is yellow, these giant teeth and, and pointy eyebrows. Um, and, and like, I think like issue, I don't know, the fourth or fifth issue of Batman, 
he goes and breaks into some kind of Chinese cult, mystical cult, and he pushes a gigantic Buddha statue on top of like 20 of the cult members, like crushing them. He just like kills like 20 Chinese guys, like in one frame of the comic book, like super casually. But I, I know I'm, I'm totally going off on a tangent here, but I just wanted to mention this because I had never seen this before until recently that the very first superhero team up ever in history, it's not the X-Men, it's not the Fantastic Four, it's not the Justice League, it's actually called the Justice Society, a DC comic superhero group um, that, that came, I think, in the early 1950s, it was around, the very first issue of the Justice Society, the first mission that they have to perform, Abby, is going to shut down as a superhero team. The Flash is on this team, people with fucking crazy powers. The very first mission they go on is to shut down a communist college professor. That wow. is the first superhero team up mission what a heroic, in history. Yeah. What a heroic thing. Uh, Saving so, the world. Yeah. Um, Saving and the world. one last thing I wanted you to comment on, Abby, um, is Suicide Squad 2 just dropped. And one of the first things I noticed in the movie, and spoilers for anybody who doesn't you know, want to get spoiled, fast forward a few minutes from here. The movie basically is like showing the bad guys as this like evil South American military dictatorship that's basically representing the Maduro government in Venezuela. And they even use the same exact colors on their flag in the same, not in the exact same orientation. The order of the lines is different, but it's the same colors on the Venezuelan flag. Um, and, you know, they make, they throw in some anti-American politics in the movie, but in reality, it's just like, this is the backdrop now for like, a superhero movie. It's like a, a facsimile, like Maduro government are the bad guys. So that's just gross to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think people realize they like, there's this sort of whitewashing of DC comics where it's like Superman. He was a, he's an immigrant. He was created by two Jews in New York, you know, sort of like representing their own experience growing up as immigrants. But it's like the reality is DC comics was like rooted in anti-communism, racism, anti you know xenophobia all that type of stuff um and that i mean that's probably not a surprise to anyone but it's just funny how you only hear about superman because it has a sort of liberal slant to it um yeah i mean it i mean it totally makes sense because the whole concept behind superman and a lot of these superheroes is like americanism you know nationalism mm -hmm. and so you have to wrap the enemy into the ideologies that are, you know, contradict whatever the U.S. stands for. So it totally makes sense to me that that would be way more overt when DC first first started. But that's like that's pretty crazy shit, though, that it was like attacking an, a communist professor. <laughs> like they couldn't even do like a communist like spy or something. It was like some just like teacher. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and this is like the early 50s. So it's like it's early, early Red Scare cutting edge stuff. And no joke. You know how like in the Avengers movies there, they always do this point to show like a splash panel where it's all of them jumping at once or something. Yeah. Like a money shot. They have the very first money shot of that kind ever in history in this comic book is them literally jumping to go stop this communist professor while they're screaming to truth, justice, democracy in the American way. That's the first oh superhero gosh. group rallying cry. <laughs> It's actually really so, sad. I know. It is very sad. Too bad. I know. Too bad. So, Abby, um, did you hear about uh, Apple 
the Silicon Valley Corporation going full pedo hunter, uh, working with the U.S. federal government and the FBI to scan their cloud for any existing known child pornography images that people who are into child porn trade online already. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I saw Snowden tweet it, and I was really carte blanche, essentially, on behalf of these tech giants to just scan everyone's cloud data and leave it up to them to determine if any of this cloud data matches child pornography. It just seems like giving the government way too much power, and I don't trust them to use that power responsibly. Let's just say that. Yeah, clearly it's a bad idea to trust the government to do that. And it's also, I think, really troubling that Apple is doing this because they're typically like they're not under the target right now as far as like big Silicon Valley, big tech things that like people complain about. And they, I think they should be. They've always been, I think, a very big player in all this. They normalize the dev- the concept of a smartphone that you carry in your pocket. Apple is, was, I mean, like a legitimate computer type smartphone, you know, touchscreen that allowed all these basically like, in, like toddler age children to get into devices all of a sudden, like they're responsible for that too. Like all the kids around the country playing, like glued to their touchscreens. That's not any, like Apple pioneered all that. And you better believe they did studies too, knowing that, that children would get into that. So they're not stupid. So I think they're a very evil corporation that's really actually shaped society in ways that they don't get heat for like Facebook and Google do. And this is actually what's worded in um, – this is apparently – this is a paraphrasing of their official press release. It says, Apple unveiled plans to scan U.S. – this is from PBS – to scan U.S. iPhones for images of child abuse, drawing applause from child protection groups but raising concern – among some security researchers, that the system could be misused by governments looking to surveil their citizens. Now, the actual Apple press release said something, this is a paraphrase, it says that its messaging app will use on-device machine learning, on-device, like literally soft, the software of the OS on your phone, to warn about sensitive content without making private communications readable by the company. The tool Apple calls Neural Match will detect known images of child sexual abuse without decrypting people's messages. If it finds a match, the image will be reviewed by a human who can notify law enforcement if necessary. And just really quickly, Abby, before I get your take on that, two big things stand out to me from this paragraph. We will detect known images of child sexual abuse. What does that mean? It means that they already have a database of child porn that Apple employees are probably looking at to use to make this neural matching software that's already installed on your phone. And what I also stands out from this is how it sounds very, very similar, Abby, to when we did the Occupy Silicon Valley episode, the official press release from Google saying, we're going to start looking for keywords in your email, but we promise a human won't read them. They're decrypted. Well, humans not reading your emails. The computer is searching for keywords and it's not violating your privacy. This has a similar uh, way of, of, like the way they spell it out sounds very similar to me. And then in the end, your image will be reviewed by a human who can notify law enforcement if necessary. So that's really uh, fucking crazy. Well, what do you think about that? 
why did this happen? Why, like, what was the impetus behind this new partnership to, to crack down on child porn? Do you know? I don't know, but I do know that Apple historically has been different than companies like Google and other Silicon Valley companies when it comes to sexual content. Apple is more like Facebook when it comes to sexual content. And there was actually an infamous email exchange before Steve Jobs died. Someone managed to like be the squeaky wheel enough with like Apple tech support. They kept emailing and incessantly emailing about some OS issue until they finally got Steve Jobs to reply to their email. And in the email exchange with this guy, it just drifted into this conversation about Apple's philosophy of how they do things. And Steve Jobs basically said, we are eventually going to keep the world safe from porn, to keep your children safe from porn. He used, he used almost the exact phrase. And he said, if you want, if you want your kids to look at porn, get an Android. Whoa. So that was basically the, the founder of Apple's point of view on these digital devices and how they can access sexual content. Now, obviously, that's a slippery slope. What does that actually mean? I mean, you can already see Apple doesn't allow even like polyamorous dating apps, for example. Like that's how that's how conservative they are, sexually speaking, on their platform. That's the only explanation I have. When I was mentioning Google, I was talking about the how they announced to the public that their Gmail service, not even working with feds, that the Gmail service is going to start looking for keywords in your emails to advertise to you. But it's not going to read, but no human is going to read them. It seems, it's like they're trying to make you, like reassure you with a similar logic. Like we're just like, it's the computers looking at these images, like they're encrypted to us. We can't see Yeah, yeah, yeah. But computers messages. are going to scan all of your private communications with yes. everyone. And Until, use them to generate ads directly to you. That is also disturbing. And also, you can't, how can you ever know that, that it's not a human? It's just basically making it okay and normalized to think that all of your shit is accessible. It is so wild. It basically, you remember the movie Ex Machina, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So you remember that scene where the guy's like, so yeah, the way we like invented, made the robot so human-like is we, I also own the company that has like million, like hundreds of millions of smartphones that look at people's facial expressions and like manner of speaking and input all that data and then aggregate it to like create an artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. like of how they look emote. Google's logic about why they can read your emails. Like who's to say they can't be like, yeah, we're not looking at pictures of your face, but yeah, we are recording video of you all the time because we want to study like human behavior. And like that would almost be within the same realm of logic is basically what I'm saying. Like it's encrypted to us. We can't see your face. We just see the data of like how your face moves so we can like study like human emotions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is absolutely happening. That's been happening for sure. <laughs> And in Ex Machina, I remember when that line was said by uh, that character in the movie, I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. That's that's such a huge violation. And it didn't occur to me at the time, oh, yeah, the, all these companies are already doing that. But now I'm like, yeah, of course they're probably doing something like that. Oh, absolutely. Why, why wouldn't they be? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, on the surface, this seems like a, a good idea. It's like, yeah, and of course, we're all against child pornography. And if you have it on your phone and computer, you should be you should be exposed, right? But the the problem is that when you're enlisting the U.S. government with such a power that works, you know, with these private corporations, anyone can be framed. If you already have the system that 
is just built into everyone's iPhone, then any image could be flagged supposedly for this reason and then just given to a member of law enforcement to then read your communications. You know what I mean? Yes. And did you read what Matthew Green, this uh, cryptography guy, said in, in the PBS article? No. What does he say? He says that this could be used to frame innocent people by sending them harmless but malicious images designed to appear as matches for child porn, fooling Apple's algorithm and alerting law enforcement, essentially framing people. This is a thing you can do. Researchers have been able to do it pretty easily, he said. So that's a really bad sign right there. And yeah, that already opens you up to like, not just, you know how like swatting is already like extremely dangerous and crazy and people do it all the time. This is, this could be like a new level of like swatting, like, like, uh, like pedo jacketing you, like by like sending, like it's, it's almost like your greatest fear come true of how like the conspiracy, about how like they'll, they could plant child porn on your computer. If you're like, you know, like the feds can do that if they really take you down. I mean, and then on top of that, like just a normal, like a crazy hacker 4chan troll doing that to you from across the world. The guy who got, um, had a heart attack from a swatting recently, he got, he, that happened to him from a kid in the UK who was like 14 years old who s swatted him. So, I mean, if that can happen, like, and someone can make like a false 911 call and get the cops to go to your house, I, I just opens, it opens the door to so many awful possibilities. And then on top of that, a corrupt government person exploiting this. I mean, and it's also, it's also catching basically the lowest level form of pedophile. When I say that, I'm not trying to excuse any of this behavior. I'm saying that if these images already exist and they're already in a database, that means that they're not like being a writ. It's not like they're finding images of child pornography that people are making themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. It's not like a pedophile is making child porn and Apple's checking to see like, what looks like a picture of a naked kid. They're looking at images that are already being circulated. So that, and that's also ethically weird that they're having their own employees look at those. It's so bizarre to me. Yeah. Like who's putting this database together? It's, it's the whole thing is strange. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's really <laughs> weird. And yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've been watching much Fox News, Abby. Uh, I still watch Fox. Not as much as I used to, but right now on Fox, since Trump is sort of out of the picture and Trump is actually bragging about being behind the vaccine, he's, he's telling people um, that, that, you know, that he's taking it, that they should take it. Wait, is, but then is he's Trump also going like, on Fox? I haven't like seen him. No, I don't have no, barely. Around. That's what's so interesting. He's barely going on Fox. Glenn's on Fox way more than Trump now, huh? Sad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Glenn is on all the time. I'm mostly on Tucker. Yeah, Trump actually, uh, speaking of him and Fox, he had a small portion of his interview cut, he claims, that where he said the election was a fake. It was a fake election. And apparently on Dan Bo Bojingo's show, or whatever the fuck the old NRA TV guy's name is, he has a show on Fox. That's hilarious. Um, they cut like a f two or three second, they did like a jump cut, apparently. That's what they're claiming on a Trump interview. That sounds a little hard to believe to me, a jump cut. Apparently, Trump's spokesperson already slammed them and said they're like covering it up. They're shills. But that's the state of Fox News and Trump right now. Still, the main thing I want to talk about with Fox is that post-Trump, 
it's like they don't know what the messaging is network wide in terms of the vaccine. The messaging is very mixed in terms of what their hosts and their pundits are saying about the vaccine. And I don't think it's because there's a diversity of opinions in the mix. I think it's because there's different people feeding the messages into the mix and they're like contradicting each other, they're like warring almost. And you're sort of seeing it playing out in Fox News. And a lot of the hosts on Fox News are outright vaccine, you know, saying like the most anti-vaccine stuff you could possibly say while not saying if they're vaccinated or not, like Tucker, of course, won't admit if he's vaccinated or not. He obviously is. Fox News actually has their own um, vaccine passport system to get into the building. So you basically have to be vaccinated to work in the Fox building. Um, That's something that none of the Fox News hosts are saying they're talking about. Wait, Fox News Um, hosts have actually said this? No, no. It's This is being reported in Vox. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And I think CNN reported on it, too. Um, And what was interesting, Abby, is after... So Fox started as being pro-vaccine. Then a couple of their hosts started to go, like, really anti-vaccine, like Tucker, like Laura Ingram. And then started to see people like Greg Gutfield and some of those people going against the vaccine. Most of the hosts were sort of neutral or basically like lightly pro-vaccine, but nobody was like strongly pro-vaccine. It was mostly like you only saw like strong views that were anti-vaccine on Fox, even though there weren't most of the hosts weren't strongly anti-vaccine. It was just you didn't really see any strong pro-vaccine views until just a few weeks ago where it seemed like a new memo was sort of piped into Fox News from I don't know who really runs it now. If it's it's not obviously not um, Roger Ailes or Rupert Murdoch. But uh, the memo seems to have basically been telling the hosts, we really need to push the vaccine and really tell people it's in, it's for their best interest. It's going to keep them safe, like basically like a public safety announcement. And that's what Sean Hannity ended up doing on his show. It, it almost seemed like he, he went too far in the direction of being like critical of the vaccine. Then suddenly he did like a five-minute, totally scripted, like, gun-to-his-head style segment where he's, like, it almost just seemed like a PSA for, like, the CDC or something. It was very, very odd. And did he, did he uh, address what he had been saying about it personally before he did nope. that? Nope. Nope. Huh. That's the best part about all this is the messaging is just so bizarrely mixed that, you like, you don't even have them being like, you know what, I, I know I was telling you the vaccine was, like, really dangerous or whatever, like, a few days ago, but but now... I think we everybody should take it. No, nobody's saying anything like that. That's what's so funny. It's almost just like they're like Etch-a-Sketch style, just trying to like shake it and clean it like every day or something and then have like a new message about the vaccine. Um, and then what's also interesting is the Daily Beast, and I don't know, you know how deep this article goes, but they basically have an article breaking down how vaccine companies have bankrolled Fox News' anti-vax insanity. Um, and it's true. Why would all these pharmaceutical companies uh, still be advertising so much on Fox News if this was really bad for them to have Fox like, put, you know, making so many people resist the vaccine? In a weird way, the less, the more people hold out and don't take it, the more you have a sector of the population that refuses to take it, the more this can be prolonged and the more these companies can just keep their pushing their vaccines and be like, no, we still need to do it because 
people are still not getting vaccinated. They're, they're creating more danger and we need to keep pushing the vaccines because of it, or maybe even make them more mandatory. The more people in the population who refuse to take it. So it's sort of bizarre to me how that's something I don't see anybody talking about. It's like, why, why is Fox news still have so many pharmaceutical companies advertised to it? Why do they have so many pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, pumping money into Hudson Institute if the people on there are acting like they're anti-vaccine? It's because on some level, maybe that actually is not bad for business for them. Sounds bizarre, but I mean, I just want our audience to think about that paradigm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, well, there's also so much more beyond the vaccine that pharmaceutical companies get out of advertising. And for people who True. don't know, the U.S. is one of the only countries in the world that allows direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical oh, advertising yeah. across the media, which is why part of why this healthcare system is so fucked up. And every instead of preventative medicine, people just self-diagnose um, by watching mm -hmm. these commercials late at night and think that they have all these ailments and then we'll just get the the pills. And a lot of doctors are paid directly by pharmaceutical reps. Yep. I know I know one myself and they get paid a shitload of money and they just have private yeah. meetings with doctors that they're just like, okay, like how many of these pills have you issued? And they just and they just reward them with like vacations and stuff. It's really insane. It's a total I racket. I knew somebody, uh, somebody's parent I knew um, growing up was one of those people and they got like little trinkets, like a little like um, stress ball that had like a pharmaceutical company's logo on it. They got, you know, Xanax bars and stuff nice. like that. You know, like people talk about the Zanny bars, like they had, they just got those like for free all the time from like the, whoever the rep was. <laughs> I didn't understand it, but it was. Well, they get a lot nicer just, shit than than stress balls. Let's just say that they like hook them yeah. up with like cruises and stuff. Like, I don't know how any mm -hmm. of this is legal. It's it it seems like such a huge gray area in the whole medical community. Well, what's f fascinating, Abby, is there's actually you know Alex give me the guy who did the Cody yeah. Clear documentary. I don't really care for his political worldview. Like he also did Looming Tower. I don't really agree. I think it's kind of a limited hangout narrative, but. He did a, mo a movie series, a documentary on the opioid crisis, and it went surprisingly deep. I was I was pretty impressed where it took the like where it took the narrative, and it basically spoilers. If you haven't seen it, fast forward. If you want to, don't want to be spoiled. The narrative eventually gets to how do how do all these pain pills get onto the streets? How does that happen? Because it's it's not just that people who are being prescribed these drugs are also like you know being like capitalistically exploited somehow these pharmaceutical companies want this stuff on the streets too because it like perpetuates the larger addictive you know cycle in in like drugs in in, in society in, in the united states so the documentary actually goes there and implicates pharmaceutical companies in that shit too i was pretty surprised that it that it went that far and then it also talks about all these pain clinics that I didn't even really know existed because they don't they're not really in California or where we live in California or where I live. Uh, but there's apparently like after uh, they passed a law, like the Senate actually passed a law making it illegal to just get like a doctor's note to get like Vicodin or opioids online. You used to be able to like order Vicodin online and a dot like a pot doctor style guy would just like sign a thing. They made they made that illegal in like the mid 2000s like 2007 or 8 or something but what happened after that is there's 
hundreds and hundreds of these pain clinics all over the country that are basically just like weed doctors. And you can you go, go from in. one to another without having any record, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to have any medical records at all. Sometimes there's lines out the door and all, they're just pill mills. Yeah, and they know about this shit too, like in pockets 100%. of like West Virginia or other kind of rural communities that have seen like a huge mass exodus of labor and so like Detroit. Um, I, I, maybe I did see the documentary that you're talking about, unless I saw another one. But yeah, it's really crazy how obvious it is. You know, and the pharmaceutical like, companies it literally is like lines wrapped around the block of people who just go in yeah. and out to get the pills. Yeah, and it's it's you know people don't see it like putting heroin onto the streets in like low income communities, but it could be exactly like that. And a lot of these people, it's like it it doesn't just it's middle class people as well. It's not you know it's not just like one class segment of society. And the pharmaceutical companies in this movie are portrayed as being involved in that oh, yeah. as well. No, they, they so all not only do they allow yeah. and look the other way for when these middlemen distributors get pills onto the streets, because apparently that's where it always happens. Like the distrib- distributor, the manufacturer, you know, the actual factory that's pressing the pills, but the pharmaceutical companies completely allow and obviously lubricate the skids for both. That's like extremely important to their business. And that this documentary did a really good job of laying all that out. So well, every I'll just say one more thing. I watch intervention and every single time a person's addicted to heroin, it's always that they started on pharmaceutical pills and then their means to get them either went away or they, their prescription expired or like the pill mill shut down. They can't get anything to try to alleviate the addiction. And so they just go straight to the heroin on the street. Um, you know, and that and that's in large part a, a big reason why that is happening too, because it's all facilitated by by opioids. And how funny is it, Abby, that all we hear? What do we hear about constantly in the news when it comes to opioids now? What is the most mainstream media attention to opioids right now? Fentanyl. Oh, oh, yeah. How a lot of people are dying from fentanyl, and how China is killing people here with their manufactured fentanyl. And what's fascinating is you look at opioid deaths news in the U.S. now, it's like 90% about that. What? So I would guarantee you if someone did digging, enough digging and investigative reporting into who is pushing those stories, you will find a connection to the Sackler family Mm -hmm. orbit, people involved in manufacturing Oxycontin like Johnson & Johnson, 100%. I, I think that you will find, you will find easy connections to that. The Sacklers, what's so funny is that, you know, they were behind Oxycontin, completely was able to operate as just like huge benefactors and like, um, mm-hmm. like they were all over like museums in New York, like their name is just everywhere, all over New York City as these huge investors and all of these like public projects and shit. And they were just like treated like royalty. Yeah, the 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 Koch brothers and the Sackler family like basically sponsored the two most trendy like wings in the met museum or the met new york i mean like the shit that's like the celebrity galas like are held in those rooms where it's just like the sackler family like wing is like right above the metropolitan museum of art there's a huge uh museum in brooklyn i remember had the sackler family's name on it it's just like it's just insane dude and and they probably i think that they honestly after all was said and done with that main lawsuit i think that they 
I mean, just like Johnson and Johnson with like the fucking carcinogenic baby powder that everyone was putting on their fucking babies for years and years, just just slapped on the wrist with probably yeah. a couple million dollars in fines. Yep. You know, all these people fucking dying from opioids, all these people that have cancer, lasting cancer from these toxic products that these people know are deadly and killing people. And there's just nothing done to them because it's part of the whole buy-in of the operation. Yeah. It's like an, eventually if you get caught, well, it's the it's the liability that you just sign up for because you know that you can af- fucking afford it. It's just like the cigarette companies. They gain so much power. You know, look at what the tobacco companies were are able to do on a PR level. I mean, still, it, it's very, it, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, they all literally stood up and lied under oath to the Senate and said, like, cigarettes are not addictive. Like, all the CEOs for the tobacco companies, mm-hmm. like a famous incident in the 90s. It's incredible. And I think you have to look at people like the Sackler family and Johnson & Johnson similarly. Like, they are just as evil just because these companies also make drugs that are supposedly help people, they're just as evil. A tobacco, this tobacco company's model of like basically deflecting all negative press and hiring like the best lawyers in the world. I mean, on some level, they've got to be doing that now because all of a sudden, the con- the topic of opioid overdoses and pharmaceutical companies is just kind of in the background. It used to be really building esteem. It seemed like it was really becoming like this mainstream thing. So I was surprised to see this documentary come out when it did because I feel like the topic has just died died off. Oh, yeah. Well, you see these like reputation defender companies. I mean, there's companies advertising all the time that you just pay them. I mean, if you have a billion dollars like the Sackler family does or any of these tobacco companies, you just pay one of these organizations to just wipe the Internet or make it extremely algorithmically suppressed where no negative news comes up. No attention comes up about all of the opioid cases, and it's just completely pushed to the background. When is the last time? I mean, I I mentioned this before, so it's probably like me being redundant, but I feel like since the Exxon Valdez oil spill, there has never been. I mean, I guess you call it the BP oil disaster, but that's not what the news called it. Remember what they called it? The Deepwater Horizon disaster. Right, right. So- what is that? T- just a little hint there that somehow historically in our timeline, the last major disaster that is in our history books called the name of the company that did the disaster was like 40 years ago. Yeah. So that's weird, right? How is that happening? Yep. Tell me how that's happening. Yep. Yeah. And if and, and also what's say. funny is that if you just look up like how many oil spills there are like in a given like week, it's a lot. Because I remember, remember oh, that yeah. crazy image, everyone saw that, of like the ocean on fire somehow uh-huh. uh, because the, there was a giant explosion and like the literally the ocean was on fire. And like I looked up like I was trying to find the name of what had happened and there was like dozens of like different oil spills like just within the span of that week. And I was just like, wait, what is happening? Like it's just crazy. Can you imagine if the news actually covered all of the different spills on in railways and cars in the water here's what's really bizarre there was actually an oil spill about 10 miles away from me 600 gallon oil spill in the water that happened in february of this year and it it was only on local news oh my god chevron refinery in richmond uh basically spilled and you could see aerial photos of it it looks horrific it's a gigantic oil patch right off the san francisco bay 
You would think that would be on CNN or something, but I didn't see it anywhere except for like on my local news feed. Well, they're too busy covering Strange. January 6th and all the wrong fucking ways, dude. I I mean, I heard that they were still covering this like ad nauseum and I just can't believe it. I can't imagine turning it on CNN and seeing coverage of Trump, 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 Trump still. I mean, is that is that what's happening? I haven't really, I've actually completely avoided CNN, but I know that both sides are getting into the fray again with January 6th because there is like a, I think there's actually like a hearing happening about it right now. And it's obviously just a show. And what's funny too is that Trump is getting back into the mix and he's actually mentioning Ashley Babbitt's name now. He didn't, for some reason, he wouldn't say her name at all. He didn't want to talk about her at all for a long time. So someone maybe told him to start talking about her. And what's also sad, too, is like, I do think her family should sue the Capitol Police. I think they should sue Trump. I think they should sue everybody who's involved in the federal government. If they're going to sue the Capitol Police, they should sue everybody, including Trump himself. But what's sad is they announced that there was this big lawsuit pending and all this shit. And it turns out that it was actually fake news. There was no lawsuit filed. The family said they're thinking about doing it. I don't know how that all that publicity got generated for it, but there's nothing to that story. Weird. And that was like everywhere in the right media. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's so many stories that just become viral and then there's it's really like completely blown out of proportion or completely false. It does seem like that can happen very frequently within the right wing media, but more so than like, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's like fake news that's generated and a lot of it's like about... Uh, you know, what other countries are doing, but it's like, yeah, I feel like there's not as much attention on how it's generated in the right wing and to who's it, who's benefit and stuff, you know? Well, it used to be, you used to have like astute people on the left examining that stuff, right? you know, and now you don't anymore because it just seems like there's so much attention from the right media on fake news right. coming from like right. mainstream media. Yep. Yeah, and then it, it and really then they overshadows just, it. Yeah, and then they just kind of write off mainstream media as all all of it is fake news, and it's come to the point where now if you just source something that is true from any one of these outlets, and then you're just yep. it's just dismissed outright, and it's just a really destructive way to look at and analyze media. Yeah, I mean it's it's just babyish stuff. It's it's you know it's QAnon like behavior to act like you're a skeptic of all mm -hmm. mainstream narratives, but then like just choose which ones you like and which ones you don't like and yeah and i've some i've seen some people that i really really respect or let's just say i used to respect basically having this knee-jerk reaction and not just to like liberalism but also liberal media where now they honestly feel like just the generic right-wing media coming out of places like Gateway Pundit, Breitbart, and things like that are just automatically true when it comes to everything we're being told about COVID or whatever. I think that the the issue is like, it's the most, this is the most like controlled opposition era we've ever seen where all these people are trying to cosplay as rebels against the establishment because that's what's trendy now. And it also probably helps keep power in place, you know, without being threatened. I mean, to have all these fake you know, renegades out there. It's just. Yeah. But back to your point about the vaccines and the double speak on vaccines um, in terms of like pharmaceutical companies being a part of that. Yeah. I think that ultimately pharmaceutical companies are invested in so much more beyond just the vaccine. It's like, of course they would love if everyone got the vaccine, but 
you know, at the same time, it's like mostly freely available to Americans. So it's not even, I mean, I guess that the hospitals are buying it in bulk, but. um, I think it's a larger coup for them in the sense that like, if they're involved in such like a public health spectacle, it's just like good for their brand. Like the longer they're in it. I don't think it's just about like immediate sales or, or just the sales of the vaccine. Cause it's almost like you could, you could argue that like people will remember in history that like Pfizer's like, you know, saved us from COVID. Like, because they were like the first to come out with a vaccine. Like just that alone is great, you know, publicity for them. Probably the best publicity they've gotten since uh, Viagra, arguably, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also like, I think there's also a lot of other motives here at place. It's hard to say who is really moving all this shit. I mean, there are weird people like Bill Gates who seem to have some investment in pushing and being getting heavily behind the vaccine even though he's not really making that many profits from pharmaceutical companies, there's some weird impetus for him. So, and, and they're like also banning people online for questioning the vaccine, which sort of goes against the point I'm making earlier, because if they want more people out there questioning it to perpetuate this, then they wouldn't be doing that, you know? And obviously there's different motives at play here. Who knows why, who is, you know, there's probably like public health people, kind of weighing their thumb down on the scales who are like, you got to ban people who are putting out misinformation about COVID, like, you know, like the Biden administration wants and there's other people who are probably pushing from other directions. But it's a mess, though. It sucks to have this second wave basically happen again now, like just when everything started to feel like it was getting back to normal. It's it's really psychologically taxing and stressful. I wanted to just mention before we get off this topic was the Steve Ducey got into an argument with another guy on Fox and friends about the vaccines. It was like there that's, it's a perfect illustration of how the messaging got mixed because those guys are just total tools. Like they always have just like parroted Republican, you know, Bush administration talking points from back in that era. So to see them actually having a legitimate argument, which seemed like, you know, both of them disagree with each other. It just to me reflective of the mixed messaging on Fox news. Um, and uh, it's just funny how they just can't get their shit straight. I mean, I think it just you know? shows Even- that they're speaking to their audience. It's like they know that there is a contingent of the population who are distrustful and they know that it's largely their base. So I'm sure there's a lot of difference of opinions on Fox and they they want to try to cover all bases. I don't know. Who knows if you're saying that Sean Hannity did that shit? Maybe he did get t- scolded by his his higher up and just like yeah this is irresponsible it's, who fuck but it's like really do they care about responsibility there you know everything they say at fox news fosters some sort of like fucking destructive climate i think it's more for liability reasons it's like they don't want to be blamed and get it's like it's a, always like a constant right. equation for these companies right. you know just like it's like why would the companies like push black lives matter well at the time some of these companies saw that somehow that would be good for their business you know it wasn't too risky um, but if it was too risky, they wouldn't have done it. I mean, it's just, it's so you always have to, I guess, look at things like that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting to me how without Trump there, it's more rudderless than normal. It, even though that when Trump was there, there was still mixed messaging because Trump was all over the place. Right. And yeah, contradicting exactly. himself. Right. But now it's like for a long time, a lot of people, a lot of these right MAGA people were saying Ashley Babbitt was a crisis actor, Antifa plant. And now they're all saying she was a, you know, a innocent victim. Very sad. We need to, 
mention her name all the time. I mean, they can't get their messaging straight either. So yeah, well, as the um, narrative morphs and as they continue to focus on January sixth, and then as the Republicans basically made it about how the Capitol Police like let this happen or whatever, or it was like Nancy Pelosi's fault. Then all of a sudden, Ashley Babbitt became a real martyr. You know, and when as before, it was just the knee jerk, like, oh, it was all Antifa. This is staged. She's fake. Yeah. And now it's like they have to make her a real person to then point fingers at the Democrats who let this happen. Yeah, it's like, it was all set up. You could almost look at it like imagine it like in the same way you use the analogy, like moving the goalposts. But it's like they they're like moving like the perimeter of the narrative. Like if you imagine like four posts, like to different shapes, like as the, like the narrative, like as time goes on, to just like contort their <laughs> yeah their uh, their field to the you know to a certain narrative. And it it's it is interesting to see how it sort of builds and piggybacks and just completely flips at points. Oh wait, can I say something else about the vaccine? Of course. Uh, so I'm vaccinated. You know, I wasn't enthusiastic to get the vaccine because I don't, we, no one really knows what the long-term effects will be if there are any. However, I have to say that I do largely trust the science and academia that went behind the manufacturing of the vaccine. I do not trust the pharmaceutical companies, but I do trust the research. However, I do think that some of the measures taken have been completely way too draconian, like, you know, giving birth in a mask going through that whole process was just so dehumanizing and horrible. And also just the fact that people, so many people, countless people have died alone, like in their beds because their family has not been permitted to be with them as they are dying in the hospital. It's just like that I, I think was just so fucked up. And the fact that that continues to happen is like one of the most horrifying things to me, but I live close to a doctor and I was talking to him the other day and he was first of all he's a complete fucking sociopath um and he was telling me about COVID you know because he's doing these shifts in in different hospitals in LA and he was just like yeah at this point he's like no one gives a shit when people come in dying of COVID and I was just like well first of all it's really weird to tell someone that I hope your bedside manner changes if you actually are treating someone who's dying um but yeah, he was basically saying that the that the majority of COVID patients now are are like the unvaccinated people who are like in wealthier areas of um, like Santa Monica and stuff. There's a huge contingent of people, and these are the, the a lot of it kind of does have bleed over from the QAnon community. Yeah, it's hard to go through all the different measures that were taken and say which ones I think were the the worst. But yeah, the, all the things you're describing um, were unnecessary. I just, I guess the thing I'm most concerned about right now is not so much those measures. I'm almost more worried about the, the impact this is going to have on uh, freedom of speech. And I think it's, I think because of all the Russia disinformation hysteria, now this China paranoia, and then this on top of it, you know, and people actually getting their Patreon or PayPal accounts taken away because of something they've said about COVID. It just, to me, really uh, worrisome. Um, and I guess I just hope that there's more pushback against that. And I don't really see enough right now. Yeah, man. I just want it to go away. It's been yeah. it's been way too long and it just seems like it's never gonna it's never gonna go away now. Yeah, I mean I think on some level this will 
affect the rest of our lives. Let's hope it's not going to be like this for the rest of our lives. But I think that the idea of everything going completely back to normal is just as naive now as you know saying that after nine eleven, it's going to be it's going to be a different world we're going to be living in. Yeah, and we're just going to have to wait for this task force that Biden put together, the CIA run task force <laughs> from the intelligence community, not a blue panel scientist. Um, board or anything. It's literally spooks that he's designated to do this official WMD style investigation to see if COVID originated from the Wuhan lab. Well, first of all, it takes decades for any known pathogens to find the genesis of those pathogens. You talked about this in, you know, in our, in our bonus episode for last month, but like we, it took us years and years to find the origin of SARS, all this shit, right? So to think that you're going to take 90 days to to determine, like once and for all, did this come from a lab or not, is absurd. It's complete political theater. And at the end of the quote unquote investigation, they're basically just going to say, A, we can't determine whether or not it came from the Wuhan lab if they're responsible, right? But B, they're just going to say, well, it's China's fault anyway because of their lies, their omissions, uh, the misinformation that they put out that did this and that. Um, or they're just going to lie outright and be like, okay, it came from the lab. Now we need to like investigate it and make sure and put boots on the ground. And will you allow us entry or not into the lab, even though it really was like an international effort behind the lab anyway. So it is really creepy to think of what is actually going to happen at the end of this investigation. It seems like it's a new stage of the anti-China um, propaganda because now it's actually policies are going to be affected by this. And already, Robbie, it doesn't yeah. even matter. Even if Biden's team comes out at the end of the 90 days and says, okay, there's no evidence. We're still back to square one. We're still in the same position that we were before we embarked on this. It doesn't matter because 70% of Americans already think that China's to blame and want repercussions. I don't know what those repercussions are, or what Americans are calling for in terms of, uh, you know, consequences. But that's already how effective the propaganda has been uh, with the xenophobia in this country. And that is that is something that you should really be alarmed by. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say is um, there was one choice that you didn't mention, one possibility that are out of the um, one possible outcome of a, one such investigation that you didn't mention is that the, during the WHO investigation that took place, uh, it was reported, and I thought this was like sketchy reporting. It seemed it seemed possibly made up, but basically it said that there was a mysterious broken down truck that was like blocking the road on the way to like the cave where they collected some samples of bat guano to bring back oh, to the right, lab. Right, right, right. So my prediction and i'll just make this i usually don't just make straight predictions but i'm going to predict this at some point during that 90-day investigation while they're there if they actually get access to the country which would be surprising enough like if american cia or or cia representatives or some kind of group of people actually get on the ground access that would be shocking and alone and of itself but if then we hear that you know some international some new international investigation or UN officials or something also get blocked uh, trying to do something, I think that that's just going to make it snowball from there. It'll be like, yeah, they're trying to cover it up. 
and it'll just reinforce that. If they go into that lab, uh, what are they gonna? What are they trying to look for? The China is not gonna let them go into that lab. You know, would we let China into Fort Detrick? I mean, I don't think so. I don't know. It just seems really, really odd that uh, that's the direction it's going. Thanks for listening to Media Roots Radio. If you'd like to become a subscriber to Media Roots Radio, which gives you access to one exclusive bonus episode per month, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio.